three, two, one. This past week, it was vacation Bible school time for our church family at the New Providence campus, and we had over 300 kids and volunteers kind of stampeding through the hallways like a herd of wildebeests. If there's one thing I've learned, vacation Bible school is a high-energy week. And I don't just mean the children. I mean, you kind of expect them to be running around like their hair is on fire. That's what kids do. But I'm talking about the volunteers, the adults, and the teens who make it all happen. I was so impressed watching them do their stuff. The energy they brought was kind of off the charts. The the song leaders and the skit actors, the teachers and the folks in the kitchen pumping out the snacks, the recreation leaders out in the sun, the arts and crafts folks, all the teen helpers, everybody gave 100%. And wow, to see all that energy and creativity harnessed so the children can learn more about Christ that was just awesome. And I know, hope, hope you know how blessed we are to have Christine Vogley as our Director of Children's Ministries because it's her love for Christ and kids that really sets the tone for it all. This week, I hope you find some way to thank her. I sort of spent the week observing the VBS leaders, kind of like an anthropologist studying a, a remote jungle tribe. The experience of the VBS leaders was sort of a, a case study on the cycle of life that so many people are in these days. Let me tell you what I mean. On, on Monday, everybody's pumped up. There's so much anticipation, preparation. It's easy to have energy on Monday. It feels good and folks are happy to be there. Monday is great. Tuesday, the shine is off just a little. It's still exciting, but the reality of how much energy it takes to get through the day starts to set in. By mid-morning, some folks were craving caffeine, and I believe there were more than a few clandestine runs to Starbucks down the street. I won't say by whom, but you know who you are. By Wednesday, you see the strain. Things aren't quite as smooth as they were on Monday. People seem a little tense, a little tight, but it's hump day, middle of the week, so it's all downhill from here. People kind of dig deep. They find that extra oomph. They get that boost that they need. And then there's Thursday. Thursday is the tough day. People are tired, uh, and let's be honest, by Thursday the kids can start to be a little annoying. The songs, the songs, you're sick of the songs. They're running around in your head, you can't even sleep at night. And the question pops up is, you know, what did I get myself into? What if I, what if I snap at my kid in front of other parents? What if I snap at somebody else's kid? Can I make it to 12:20? And then Friday, blessed Friday, Everybody is running on fumes. The gas tank is empty. But the finish line is just ahead, so it's suck it up, buttercup. Give it one last push. Get it done. And afterwards, people drag themselves home or to the pool and just crash, exhausted, depleted. I'm willing to bet that there were more than a few people who had a hard time getting out of bed on Saturday. But that's the cycle, from energized to exhausted. And I think that describes more than just how people handle VBS. I think it extends to other areas of our lives as well, including our life with Christ. We start off with high hopes, good intentions. We want a better prayer life. We're really going to read the Bible on a regular basis this time. We're going to carve out time in the schedule to volunteer in the church or go on a mission trip or find a place to serve others. We're going to join a small group, but pretty soon all our good intentions get trampled by the stampede of daily life. Feels like today we're competing in a triathlon with no finish line. People seem overwhelmed, just kind of running from one event to another with no way to catch up. And all those good intentions about getting closer to God, they just get lost along the way. 
Everywhere I go, I run into people who talk about how much they want to live a life where they are more in touch with God. You know, a simpler life, a slower place, a, a less hectic schedule. A life that's more organic and natural, more focused, more connected. But what I see is the opposite. Because people are exhausted and frazzled, struggling to hold it together. The pace of life is just overwhelming. And I struggle with this too. I mean, I often feel my, like my life is like an overpacked suitcase, kind of bursting at the seams. Things to do, people to see, projects to finish, appointments, meetings, that nagging sense that there's always something I'm forgetting. There's always more to do. And then we kind of wonder, well, where is God in all this? Well, summer is a good time for us to reevaluate the cycle of life that we're in because there's usually a change of pace, maybe a little more space to take our spiritual temperature and reflect on how we're doing, to ask what happened to that peace that passes all understanding, when in reality what we see and experience is stress, anxiety, and exhaustion. Where is my vital connection with the Lord? Is there a way off this roller coaster living? Is there a way to have a more conscious, more consistent experience of Christ's grace and peace in my life? Or in the words of one ancient Christian, Christian mystic, is there a quiet stream beneath all the surface reality from which flows continually an awareness of the presence of God? Think about that statement for a moment. Is there a quiet stream beneath all this surface reality from which flows continually an awareness of the presence of God? Is it possible to be in touch with God in a more sustaining way, an inner quiet, uh, an inner calm that comes from having a greater sense of God's presence and power and peace on an ongoing basis? Is it possible to push aside all the busyness of life and really be at peace with God? What this question from the ancient mystic tells me is that we're not the first people to struggle with feeling overwhelmed. Christians throughout the centuries have wrestled with these same issues and the good news is that along the way, followers of Jesus have discovered kind of various pathways, spiritual habits that help us grow closer to God and experience greater intimacy and inner peace. They're described in many different ways. They're called spiritual disciplines, life routines, habits of the heart. They help us connect with God in a meaningful and intentional way. And we've talked about these habits in the past. A number of years ago, we condensed these spiritual habits into what we call these godly disciplines. We call them the six spiritual pathways. Pathways that help us move into a deeper relationship with Christ. And though we've talked about them before, it doesn't hurt us to have a refresher course. So that's what we're gonna be doing and looking at for the next six weeks. The six pathways that historically Christians have discovered to be how we move into a deeper relationship, a more satisfying, sustaining relationship with Christ. My job today is simply to introduce to you these historic Christian disciplines and encourage you to take your next step along each of these six pathways. It's one of our core values is to encourage your next step, your next step in growing closer to the Lord. And these pathways are the method God can use to help you do just that. The six pathways are printed on a card in your bulletin this morning if you want to pull that out and take it home. Maybe put it on your refrigerator or take a picture of it, keep it on your phone as a reminder. Let me just read them. We're to pray daily, worship regularly, study God's word faithfully, give generously, serve joyfully, 
and love continually. Simple. Six simple actions, easy to remember, not so easy to actually put into practice. But worth the effort because God really wants you to come closer to him. And that's important to remember. If you, if you feel like you want to be closer to God, well, guess what? God wants the same thing. He wants you to be closer to him. In fact, he's the one who's initiating this relationship with you. He's pursuing you even before you pursue him, even before you pray. It's sort of like if you're praying this desire to know God out loud in a canyon and you say, I want more of you, God's echo would come right back saying, I want more of you. God invites you to come closer. Nothing gives God greater pleasure than to have you take that one more step deeper into him. But this does not happen by accident. It requires spiritual discipline. These spiritual pathways are nothing new. In fact, they're very old spiritual practices, ancient even. Because the testimony of believers in Christ throughout the centuries is that it requires effort on your part in order to grow closer to God. It doesn't just fall out of heaven and hit you in the head. Your participation is required. In order to experience the peace and the presence of God, we have to do certain things. And all the pathways are dependent on one very simple thing. They depend on you having time alone with God each day. If you want to experience the peace and presence and power of God <coughs> excuse me, in your life, there's no substitute for time. There's no plan B. There is no magic new thing. To carve out a few precious minutes each day to be alone with Christ, to pray and to seek him, to lay out the things that are on your heart, to release your anxieties and burdens to him, and then to listen, to listen in prayer, to listen to his word, to quiet your own internal voices so that you can begin to hear God's still voice, to be in his presence, to be quiet before him. This is a learned discipline to faithfully find 10 or 15 minutes each day to be in God's presence. That's where it has to begin. But it's amazing how difficult it is for people to actually do that, to find time each day, to discipline oneself to do it each day. It sounds so simple, but it is our biggest spiritual battle, bigger than almost any other temptation we might find in life. Finding the will and the personal discipline to be alone with God every day I think that's the number one struggle for most growing Christians. When I was in high school and a new Christian, one of my leaders told me that the Christian life is more like climbing a spiral staircase than than climbing a mountain. Because on a spiral staircase, you basically cover the same territory over and over again, but each time at a higher level. And that's the way I feel about this topic. Having a daily devotional time, a quiet time, it's nothing new. I mean, it's a new believer 101. But in reality, we never get past this. We just come back to it again and again and again at various stages of our spiritual growth. New believers, long-time believers, we all struggle with the same thing, time alone with Christ, indispensable to growing your relationship with him. In fact, if you're not willing to pursue the discipline of daily time alone with the Lord, then the rest of the message series will just be a waste of your time. You can't move to step two if you're not willing to do step one. There is no leapfrog here. There's no skipping ahead. If you want to live in grace and live by grace, then you have to give God space in your day. Let me say that again. If you want to live in grace and live by grace, then you have to give God space in your day. You have to give God space in your calendar. 
The six spiritual pathways all get translated into your most important resource, which is your time. In order to experience the presence of Christ in a deeper way, you have to give time to God each and every day. Whether you feel like it or not, whether you think something is happening or not, whether you sense God's presence or not, you have a daily appointment with God where you give over to him your heart and your mind, your soul, and your strength. Why is this daily retreat so important? Well, one reason is that's the way Jesus lived. That's the way he lived his life. And he, of all people, knew what it was like to live out God's grace in a pressure cooker world. Listen to how the gospel writers describe his daily routine in Luke chapter 5. The news about Jesus spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Or one of my favorite verses in Mark chapter 135 where it says this, after an exhausting day of Jesus recruiting disciples, healing the sick, casting out demons, swarm with crowds, all wanting a piece of him, it says this. In the morning, long before dawn, he got up and left the house and went off to a lonely place and prayed. Jesus had a rhythm to his life, a rhythm of activity and withdrawal, of long, hard, busy days coupled with restoration and recovery. This is how Henry Nouwen describes Jesus' life pattern in his book, Out of Solitude. In the middle of sentences loaded with action, healing suffering people, casting out demons, responding to impatient disciples, traveling from town to town, and preaching from synagogue to synagogue, we find these quiet words. In the morning, long before dawn, he got up and left the house and went off to a lonely place and prayed there. In the center of breathless activities, we hear a restful breathing. Surrounded by hours of moving, we find a moment of quiet stillness. In the heart of much involvement, there are words of withdrawal. In the midst of action, there is contemplation. And after much togetherness, there is solitude. The more I read this nearly silent sentence locked in between the loud words of action, the more I have the sense that the secret of Jesus' ministry is hidden in that lonely place where he went to pray early in the morning, long before dawn. The secret of Jesus' life in public was his life in private. His power, his focus, his energy came out of his daily retreat where he could be alone with the Father. And that's why eventually the disciples came to Jesus and they said, teach us to pray. Because they had seen the amazing connection between his private life of prayer and his powerful life in public. And they wanted that for themselves. But what's really an amazing thing is that Jesus goes on and invites his followers to join him in living this kind of pattern of activity and withdrawal. Mark chapter six, verse 30. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. Then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, Jesus said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. And so they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. This was a beautiful invitation to his first disciples, to follow his example, to go with him to this quiet place, to reconnect with God. And that same beautiful invitation is made to us today to replenish our souls, to find that daily quiet place to be alone with him. That's step one in re-energizing our souls. That's how we begin to experience this infilling of his presence, time alone. It's a discipline to be developed, it's a lifestyle to be learned, 
It's a habit of the heart. It's not something that you can cram into just a week of seven days of vacation and then go back to the same old destructive schedule that kind of pushed you close to the edge before. Regular alone time with Jesus, God will meet you there and will begin to help you experience the restorative power of his presence on a daily basis. The real question we're trying to answer in this summer series is how can we kind of construct a sustainable lifestyle that enables us to honor Christ and live the way he wants us to without experiencing total burnout? Because here's the thing, being alone with God doesn't mean that automatically everything changes that automatically all our distractions and worries and fears go away. Often, no, it's the opposite. When we're alone and quiet with God, that's when all the distractions, all the inner fears, all the inner chaos actually comes to the fore. More clearly, all those issues that maybe we've been trying to avoid kind of push beneath the surface, all our insecurities and compulsions, we realize it is not easy to be alone with God. As soon as we close our eyes and start to pray, our minds start jumping around like grasshoppers we quickly find out we are not so good at really disciplining our minds to be with God, to be quiet before God. We are so easily distracted. And that's why the six spiritual pathways are called spiritual disciplines. Because it takes mental and emotional and physical uh, discipline to put them into practice. And like any new discipline, they do take practice. If you're learning tennis for the very first time, You have to practice that swing a hundred and hundreds of times before you get it right, before it feels natural, before it's strong. Hundreds of strokes to learn how to do it right. It's the same with the spiritual life. It takes practice, practice, practice. It takes doing it wrong before learning how to do it right. That's the way we learn to walk the six spiritual pathways. In his classic book on the spiritual life and spiritual disciplines uh, called uh, The Celebration of Discipline, Richard Foster writes this, in our contemporary society, our adversary majors in three things, noise, hurry, and crowds. If he can keep us distracted by muchness and manyness, he will be satisfied. And he wrote those words before the invention of the smartphone. Noise, hurry, crowds, those are the primary things that evil uses to keep us from growing in Christ. Keep us distracted. And if you're distracted from the Lord, it won't be long until you feel defeated too. C.S. Lewis wrote the same thing in his classic book, The Screwtape Letters, where a seasoned demon is giving advice to an apprentice demon on how to tempt humans. And he says that one of the best ways is simply through noise. He knows that if we are overrun by countless distractions, we will be unable to hear the voice of God. So Screwtape says, we will make the whole universe a noise in the end. The melodies and the silences of heaven will be shouted down in the end. Noise and hurry and crowds. All the ways we get detoured from Christ. Jesus' life was busy, but it was also balanced. And so he understands the pressures we face. He barely had any time to be by himself. The constant press of people. And yet he calls us to a new kind of life. Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Jesus gives us an invitation to follow him an example to model his life of action and rest, that it was necessary to withdraw from the noise and from the hurry and from their crowds in order to be alone with God. And if he needed it, so how much more do we? So that's the challenge over the next few weeks is to be open that all that God might say to you about being alone with him and the steps that you can take to move deeper into him in each of the six pathways. 
Some of them may be more of a challenge to you than others, but be open to how God might speak to you in all six pathways. Can you say them with me? Pray daily, worship regularly, study faithfully, give generously, serve joyfully, love continually. If you're going away on vacation, you can always stay current with the sermons through the church apps, PCNP Mobile or New Community, NCC Mobile. And here's the payoff for following the six pathways. In the words of a Christian with a huge heart, David Brainerd, he wrote these words in 1742. He wrote, in the stillnesses I make in the midst of the turmoil of life, I have appointments with God. From these silences I come forth with spirit refreshed and with a renewed sense of power. I hear a voice in the silences and become increasingly aware that it is the voice of God. Oh, how comfortable is a little glimpse of God. Let's pray. <coughs> Lord, would you help us to follow your invitation to come to you in quietness, to carve out the time that we need in order to be in your presence and to experience your power. Help us to take that one step deeper along all six spiritual pathways. It's in your name we pray, amen. Oh, it's dying.